Hello there and welcome to Women Travel, a podcast about the places women have been and the things they did there. I want to add a disclaimer before we jump into it. Uh, We do cuss and there's some extreme violence depicted in a historical sense. There is also queer erotic topics covered. So if you're listening at work, maybe put in some headphones or don't let the kids listen to this one. But it's also really funny. So I hope you do listen, give it a chance. But if it's too much for you, I understand. Here we go. This week, we're talking to historian Annika Sieverts again about fan fiction and how it's changed the world. So, Annika, uh, first of all, we kind of wanted to talk about how Vlad the Impaler is the most current example that you can you have to bring to the table today. You want to explain that? <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So we love Vlad the Impaler, uh, <laughs> even though he is really messed up. He's a really cool guy um, from Wallachia, uh, kind of near Romania. Um, so it starts off because uh, he was like this really ruthless being who would murder like thousands of his people. He has the famous I uh, I think it's Easter massacre where he invited all the nobles uh, that his father used to work with and just straight up murdered them all. And then he uh, hired peasants to fill that noble system again. Oh. So it's really interesting because he like murdered like thousands of his people, but he's still revered as a national hero in Wallachia because the way that he upturned the whole like royal system and got uh managed to have the the Ottoman Empire kind of back off for a while because during that time in the uh 1400s like the Ottoman Empire was like really taking over everything um even like England and stuff like that uh, but like this one tiny little uh eastern country just like holding them off and like the Ottoman Empire had like millions of soldiers and he only had like 200,000 and he still managed to keep them off okay so 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 first I want to ask before we get to the the thing a little history on Vlad the Impaler is how did he come to power so he was the the royal prince he was the second born of his uh father uh also known as Vladimir and then their last name was Dracul which is where we kind of get super cool. Yeah. Which means uh, house of the dragons. Um, yeah, it does. Hell yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then eventually, you know, Dracul kind of leads on, but we'll, we'll get to that very shortly. Did he impale his father? No. Uh, but his father was trying to make deals with the Ottoman empire. So he took his older brother and him over to like talk to the Sultan. And then he sold his sons into slavery and his father went back to Wallachia. And so his older brother was buried alive. Uh, and they put Vlad in the prisoner's cells where he learned how to torture bats and rats by impaling them. Because that was the uh, Ottoman way of uh, torturing people with impalement. Okay. So he learned some cool new skills uh, mm-hmm. on his study abroad trip. Yeah, on his study abroad <laughs> Fully funded by his father. Uh, okay. Uh, stayed there a little more than two years, you know. Uh, so when he left, he was kind of crazy. Um, no way. I'm shocked. Yeah, right? Who who totally wouldn't get, you know, uh, so, some sort of syndrome. Right? Like, uh, okay, because imagining that story is he went from very aristocratic, like, fluffy kind of lifestyle, or at least mm-hmm. for that those times, and then was just 
given up as a slave and then was given some sort of power, but not very much. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. And so when he came out of jail, he didn't really hear anything about his family. Uh, I think his mom died or died in childbirth, probably. We, You know, historians don't really care about women and how their endings actually go. Uh, and so I'm sure it doesn't affect the emotional psyche of any of these people no, either. No, no, no. Having your mother figure gone is totally fine. Totally fine. Totally normal. Have you not seen Disney films? Hey, man, I've watched a lot of hero stories, and uh, they didn't need no moms. Yeah, no moms. No moms at all. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, uh, when he, re- I can't remember if he heard it on his way back, but he he learned that his father was actually coming back to get him when he was about 12 years old. But the uh, the noblemen were worried that this would break the the Ottoman deal that they had going on. So they actually murdered his father. So that's where the whole Easter massacre comes in because he comes in and they welcome him home. They're like, "Oh, great, we have our we have our prince finally." He's like, "Yeah, oh, you remember my dad? Oh, that's funny." He's like, uh, "Why don't you all come for a feast? Like, bring all your family, your kids, your sons." Oh, it's gonna be real fun. I so he was just like done, like fuck all these assholes, yeah. they haters, they just like two faced. Yep. All right, yep. cool. Yeah, yeah, and he's he's. I can kind of dig some, it. Yeah, he's a really interesting figure. This is how I knew I was different in my tech comp program because <laughs> everyone was going around in our class and was like, which historical figure would you meet? Everyone's like Anne Frank, George Washington. Abraham Lincoln, and then it comes to me and goes, Vladimir Palin. <laughs> I just want to know what's up with that dude. What was he thinking? <laughs> yeah, what was he thinking? Our teacher goes, okay. And then the next person <laughs> goes, Thomas Jefferson. I was like, damn it. Like, I'm mainly the weird one. <laughs> uh, mine would be Oscar Wilde, hands down. I just want to talk to that dude so bad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, he's amazing. Really a, a forefronter in a lot of things. Yeah, just like someone who went down in history as like an outcast, and it's just like, fuck yeah. The coolest, yeah. most uh, fashion-conscious outcast of mm-hmm. all history. Yeah, yeah. My Oscar Wilde and Vladimir Payne would be very... Oh, God! <laughs> okay, that's our fan fiction. I'm writing that down. That's our fan fiction. Okay, we're writing that and we're publishing it. Okay. Uh, look out, everyone. <laughs> well, there is a secret bit at the end that I didn't tell you about, so there. Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> Look into that, ladies and gentlemen. Um, yeah. So to kind of like go back into this this fan fiction of how it happened. So during that time, the only ones that were able to write or create stories was the Germans because they had the printing press, and so they were getting these horror stories uh, about what Vladimir Paler was doing, and some of them was taken out of context, but some of them was true. Like he would. Uh, take people's faces off or impale like mothers and babies together or like turn them upside down so their mouth is through the <laughs> stick instead and he did have a forest of bodies but he didn't drink blood nor did he feast uh, from their flesh which is what the German monks were saying about him so they started writing these tales about Vladimir Paler and making him like this really big historical figure during the time. Yes. Quick question. Forest of bodies? Can you define, please? <laughs> so, you know, uh, he had he had very few men in terms of 
the the Turkish army. So when they would come into his land, he really wanted to intimidate them as much as possible. So he would put literally spikes like 10 miles uh, from his, his castle, and he would have people impaled on it. Oh. So it'd be like this intimidation tactic that they're like, holy fuck, dude, like, <laughs> what the hell are you doing here, man? Uh, yeah. Did it work? So the, yeah, okay. 100%. Um, in fact, it worked so well that uh, during the last battle, uh, he decided to dress up as an Ottoman to try to infiltrate the army, and he, he had trained his peasants, uh, who were now noblemen, so well that they just straight up murdered him because they thought he was a Turk. I mean, what a way to go. So there's rumors that his head was taken off and like taken to the, the Sultan, but they really can't confirm it because most likely his own men killed him and his body was just left to rot. Damn. Yeah. So that leads us to uh, what does Vlad the Impaler have to do with modern fan fiction? Going back to the Germans that are making these posters, um, and they're like really uh, grotesque, like print plates that you can still see they're like really cool he's like eating babies and like drinking blood with like a forest of bodies behind him i feel like metal albums are really missing oh yeah a lot of inspiration there i know right uh i wish we would study him more in like history classes but people are like and so people would just like were so fascinated by this story they're like what the hell do this guy's drinking baby blood like eating people's faces like oh this is this is insane um and so he was like really a scary character for for quite a few years which led uh uh what is it bram stoker uh bram bram stoker bram mm-hmm. thank you bram stoker to then take dracula well he says it's not a direct link but i mean dracula is pretty much dracula yeah living in Transylvania over the castle, like, uh, you know, so he, he created this uh, Dracula character around Vlad the Impaler. This was like a couple hundred years later, which, of course, you know, ended up inspiring a lot of vampire movies like, uh, you know, Twilight. <laughs> and Twilight was like this huge thing, which uh, would get people to write fan fiction and there was one particular fan that wrote, like, very explicit Edward and Bella fan fiction with BDSM, and it got so popular that she was able to copyright it, and that was Fifty Shades of Grey. So, if you hate Fifty Shades of Grey, you can thank Vlad the Impaler for that. Now, I'm just trying to get a, a, a feel for Vlad the Impaler, mm-hmm. who seemed to just hate shitty people, like, he just... Mm-hmm. Uh, really uh, um, enjoyed loyalty. Mm-hmm. Reading Twilight. <laughs> I know, right? I feel like he'd be pissed. I dude. feel like he'd be really disgusted by it, yeah. He'd be like, excuse me? Who do I talk to to impale <laughs> Well, no. No, he would have the same reaction that I did when I finished reading the fourth book, and I was like, they're not gonna fight! What it? Is... <laughs> <laughs> like all this hard work for nothing for toby and then you throw the book out the window (laughs) yeah so it's definitely kind of like a long stretch uh but it's just so funny to think like this really brutal grotesque 
dude that was really just like given a bad hand somehow inspired people to write erotic fan fiction which then turned into 50 shades of gray he sounds more like a rasputin kind of character rather than a hero figure necessarily and i'm all for Mm -hmm. you know taking down the rich and replacing them with more um empathetic people Mm -hmm. but he did kill a lot of people through deceit and i think that's the thing that's holding me up it's like heroes don't do that necessarily oh yeah a hundred percent um but like i said because we're not from wallachia like you would still think like they'd be like no no no, like hitler not he's not like hitler because he didn't kill millions of people but it's kind of like the the same concept of like here's this dictator who caused like horrendous harm to their own country wouldn't you think you'd be like the germans and like not even put a placard where he like lived and like bulldozed everything that they ever touched but no they're like nope there's his castle here's some souvenir plates with his face on it isn't it fun uh okay so there's some civics i guess there's some pride about vlad oh yeah there's a ton of pride i would love to go to Wallachia one day and just just see all the the Vlad the Impaler souvenirs that they got over there. I would love to hear about that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm curious what a Vlad the Impaler souvenir would be. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so, so that leads to another story, and this is in um, a place far, far away. In a, a time really far in the future. Nope, that's Star Wars. <laughs> Space, the final frontier. <laughs> These are the journeys of the Enterprise. <laughs> hey, man, if you have to pick a team, I choose the Hufflepuffs. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Perfect. Hufflepuffs in space. I mean, aren't kind of tribbles Hufflepuffs in space? Yes. Yeah. Can confirm. Yes. So, <laughs> because we go from this history of Lobbing Paler to then Fifty Shades of Grey, um, we're going to have decided to kind of go backwards in time from that point on. Doodly, 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 doodly. This is yeah. my time machine. Let's hop in the time machine. <laughs> uh, beam me up, Morgan. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're going to talk about Star Trek now and how that completely changed one technology as we know it and how people write fan fiction. So Star Trek fans... Uh, we're obsessed with the show. Like I'm obsessed with the show because it was such a, a revolutionary TV film uh, from the 1960s. You have a multicultural cast. You have a black woman kissing a white man, which was like the first thing on film. Um, you have Jewish representation with Mr. Spock. It was just so ahead of its time. And so, uh, and there's such a deep lore to it too. Like so many people have gone on and like actually made a Klingon language or a Vulcan language. And some people who meet from across the world, like say they're from Russia and the other one's from France and they don't speak the same language, but they both can speak Klingon. They can, there's legit like couples that have gotten together who are multinational, but because they spoke Klingon, they were able to like fall in love and get the married. The language of love. Klingon. <laughs> Klingon. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and so, so it yeah. was an, a cooperative approach to this 
form of uh, storytelling and world building, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very, very cooperative um, to the point where uh, people would have uh, their ships or if you're not familiar with ships, meaning you take one person, you take one Ken doll and the other Ken doll and you're like, these two deserve to be with each other. You're like, these two are now boyfriend and girlfriend. Okay, because we were talking in, in Star Trek terms. I thought you meant, like, ships. Like, people are building, like, little, you know, spaceships or something. And I was uh-huh. like, oh, that's pretty cool. I no, no, no. <laughs> no, you mean, like, ships, like, relationships. Like, I ship it as in yeah. the colloquial verb of, like, these two should be together because I think it'd be real hot. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um... <laughs> And if you look really closely, especially if you know, like, all the Vulcan traditions, like, Mr. Spock and Captain Kirk are, like, a little bit more than just best friends. Uh, A lot of people have confirmed it. Even, like, the author of uh, Star Trek, Roddenberry, kind of pulled a J.K. Rowling after, like, the series was done. And was like, yeah, no, they were totally together. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, I kind of wrote them to be together. Because, like, Vulcans are very, like, non-touchy, non-emotional but, like, Kirk, for some reason, gets Spock, like, hot and ready <laughs> all the time. <laughs> and there's, like, a scene in the first... I'm just imagining Trek- a Hot Pocket with Kirk's face on it, like, hot and ready. Pretty much. That boy's thick like a Hot Pocket. <laughs> He's hot on the edges, a little cold on the inside. You just killed me. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, <laughs> But yeah, like in uh, the Star Trek, the first motion picture, which was terrible, I hate it so much. There's a scene where like Kirk just full on grabs Mr. Spock's hand, like fingers interlinked, blah, blah, blah. And like later on you learn like Vulcans consider like handshakes very private and like mating happens through fingertips and whatnot. And like kisses are like fingertip to fingertip. And like Kirk just goes in there like full-on palm to palm and you're like wait a damn minute (laughs) what the hell is happening here so i'm not the only one who has you know seen these contexts and seen these clues because you can find zines nowadays on ebay of just like chocked full of like hardcore kirk and spock porn it's like hard like erotic like how old we're talking about like 60s and 70s Oh, shit. So, Mm -hmm. like, people had to really put effort into printing these kinds of things. Yeah, and they're, like, thick. They're, like, 150 pages each. So you have, like, this huge dedicated fan base just for one science show. Um, And the actors were actually very engaged with the the community. So um, (laughs) Leonard Nimoy would hear about these group meetings that uh, uh, these fans would have where they come in and talk about their relationships in Star Trek, usually with food, and he would come into their house, surprise them, be like, hey, let me hear about your theories. And he would sit with them, eating, like, finger sandwiches, and be like, I like your theory about how (laughs) Kirk and Spock are, like, in love. He goes, I love this. And he would just, like, get up and go, and people were like, we just had Mr. Spock in our fanfiction movie. What is <laughs> God, back when you couldn't get into Wikipedia, uh, I, I guess you just had to storm people's living rooms and use your fame as your free pass. Yeah, like, I would love to do that if I ever become a famous author. Just, like, show up at people's houses and, like, let me hear your theories. Love this. Um, but even, like, William Shatner has, like, con- 
attributed to the own fandom where he like writes fan fiction but they get published so i have one that i actually got him to sign because i met william shatter so stoked about that with my uncle congrats thank you he's like a little <laughs> the best way he's like a butterball he's just like perfectly round <laughs> And you're like, you are too holy for me to touch or really look at or to speak to. So he has a, a book called Collision Course, which is uh, about Spock and Kirk uh, finding each other in the academy and like hating each other and then slowly like uh-huh. growing to be like best friends towards the end. It's William Shatner wrote his William own Sh- fan fiction about his yes. character. And it's so good. <laughs> It's it's really cheesy, but it's also just really fun. Uh, he wanted to do a uh, a sequel, but uh, he either didn't have the time or the publisher didn't want him to do it. But I got him to sign it, and <laughs> it's one of my pride and pride and joys that I have in my room. So we've got Collision Course. Uh, we've got Vlad the Impaler mm-hmm. leading to Twilight. Um, well, let's say let's say. We take this time machine back to oh. 100 years ago. Oh, boy. Yeah. Vroom? Welcome to the 1920s. <laughs> hey, darling, it's time. It's time for the 1920s with the jazz hands and the, the floppy skirts and the floppy hats and the girls who look like squares. But they ain't squares. Don't be a square. Don't be square. They're circles. Perfectly round. Ordinary. Girls Not, with short hair. Girls with short hair. The frames frames a perfect circle of the face. Yeah. Hacha. Yeah. And we can't cuss. So. We can't cuss no more because it's the 20s and we ladies. No drinking. No showing no your drinking. ankles. No. Uh. Well, kind of show your ankles. Okay, but not those knees. No, not not the knees. Not those knees. <laughs> We stop it at the knees. Yep. Hey, uh, and uh, there's only gay things going on in San Francisco. That's all. That's the only gay place in the world, San Francisco, the 1920s. Oh, yeah, that, that's the only place. That's the only place. Maybe. Not New York or anything like that. Nope, San Francisco is it. That's it. <laughs> Before we get into it, I do want to say, I really want to um, learn more about historical lesbian bars Mm. especially in the 1920s and how that was a really big thing where they would actually have bouncers like not let any men in yeah while also women had a lot of empowerment and authority over those kind of places once they were able to be established gosh there's some awesome pictures of 1920s lesbians and you see like this one that's just like she looks like this really big buff mob boss and like Mm -hmm. her her wife is like all petite and like marilyn Monroe just full lipstick mm-hmm. and oh it it's so hot like they're not even like doing anything they're just like sitting at a dining table like having dinner and tea and I'm like ooh, if only I could have that life <laughs> why not you can buy suits yeah, that's true or lipstick it's up to you it's up to me baby yeah uh, baby <laughs> so let's kind of go back to the 1920s I don't have like a whole bunch of information about it or like super fun stories like uh star trek or vlad the impaler but a lot of people think like the 1920s is this well it is like a freedom writers era where people are having drinks and dance and uh kind of celebrating after world war one but a lot of people forget like this there's this whole other 
side of the world where like gay people could thrive. So you could get, uh, or like homoerotic tendencies in books were totally like could pass over people's heads and they wouldn't care. Um, so like Europe, there's a lot, a lot of gay men having fun over there because that's what you do after wartime. Hemingway and uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald were a little bit too close of friends, I would say. Um, <laughs> they're, I guess I do have a funny story about the 1920s. Zelda, who is uh, Fitzgerald's wife, one time told him that his penis was too small and he got really like upset. And so he goes up to Hemingway. He's like, I don't know what to do. Zelda says my penis is small. Like, what do I do? He's like, come with me. So they go in the bathroom and Hemingway checks out his dick. And he goes, nah, you're good, dude. It's, it's fine. It's average. <laughs> they left. So like that kind of like homoerotic tendencies was just like totally normal. I don't think you would. I don't think a lot of men these days. Maybe they do. I don't know. Like, I have three brothers, but I really doubt they could be sizes in the bathroom. No, this this kind of fits with my theory that before World War II, everything was a lot more open. Like, the sexual, um, I guess the, the uh, sexual roles and uh, genders and that kind of stuff just weren't so heavily enforced. It was pretty much taken for granted that women could do stuff of their own volition. And um, they weren't necessarily equal, but they had a lot more empowerment and they had a lot of more group empowerment, actually. Um, there were tons of stories about like women's groups meeting up and, and, you know, having craft houses or whatever. And it was a lot of wholesome community stuff, but it was also like, this is a place where women meet and talk and they, you know, gain uh, confidence from that, from those safe spaces. And my theory, I guess, is that in the 50s or, you know, after World War II ended and everything was trying to restructure, um, there was just so much prolific propaganda about women being in their role and men being in their role that I think that decade did so much worse for the next 70 years than anything that had been going on before because everything before just truly seemed and appeared to be way more open-minded yeah for sure um and to kind of corroborate what you're saying if before the 1920s before world war one people were kind of stuck in their ways but we also had like the gold rush and mountain men who you know kind of like gay pirates when you're out alone in the mountains like you're gonna find somebody um mm -hmm. and which eventually they would get like chinese like sex slaves to come over which is the whole whole another dark history to the beginning of america true and there's a lot of terrible things about america and slavery long after the civil war but because of that foundation of pioneer towns most women ran the towns they would run everything from the saloon to the church to the school and you know that's a huge power pull um and i yeah i think that led a foundation of women who felt like they could pretty much have if not uh on par very close to par yeah with and, it, men. And, it's, and it's a very like fascinating history because like america was so new there couldn't really be like social boundaries or anything like that um and so but once you got more english uh persons coming to america and settling in new york and stuff like that 
uh, starting to build grand houses and plantations and whatnot, we started to get more into that structured society where it's like, well, no, 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 I'm the master and you're the slave and we're not going to have an equal relationship. But World War One completely destroyed that uh, power imbalance with with men and and some with women as well i would say that unions before then also helped oh yeah work unions oh gosh (laughs) i love work unions that's a whole fun history i just read a story about uh um the fossey girls or uh the matchstick girls of england and so this was in london um and um you know we're in sherlock holmes times that's we can do this or, yeah, we can do this. No. Well, we're in 1920s. We're in 1920s. So, we're, all, we're almost there. You know what? I'm going to tell this story, then we're going to transition to Sherlock Holmes. It's going to be seamless. Okay. So I just read a short story about uh, the matchstick workers in London. And so this was kind of before uh, the 1920s where unions became really strong. And uh, this was actually one of the first union groups that uh, held a strike. And they you know, rallied together against the conditions, the working conditions that they were in. And the main thing that they were opposing was this thing called Fosse Jaw, mm-hmm. where because they had to eat, so they had to make the matchsticks out of uh, phosphorus, uh, and then they had to eat where they were sitting. Like, you didn't get a lunch break. Um, or if you did, you had to sit where you were, which doesn't, that's nothing. And yeah. then the uh, little bits of phosphorus would get in their jaw, in their food, they would eat the food. It would be absorbed into their cavities. And then it would rot their jaw from the inside out. And some women were, like, so, I guess, filled with this uh, toxic chemical that uh, their jaws would glow at night. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was a horrifying story. Um, but the, the moral about it was that, you know, this was one of the... Uh, early early unions and it was a whole bunch of women yeah it's it's really fascinating for sure I oh gosh history is if you if you know to read the right history history is so fascinating like I've had so many people tell me like history is boring like all we do is read about like the Greeks and Romans and like American Revolutionary War and like World War One and World War Two I'm like Okay, wait, first and second, all of those are very interesting. <laughs> yeah, they're they're all very interesting, but they're usually taught by, like, not all, but usually white men who are like, yeah, the glory of World War II will never go back to those days. <laughs> and, what you know, me being like, what about women? They're like, they stayed at home. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Bullshit. No, <laughs> excuse me, radio girls, you know, stuff, fun stuff like that, um... So history is really interesting. Like this whole history fan fiction is part of history, but you just have to know where to look for those niches. And that's what I love doing with my research and and my history degree is finding these niches and like really discovering the stories of forgotten people and like these hidden stories of feminism and uh, queer communities and people coming together and fighting against a white heteronormative world. I think it's just so fascinating. And I think you're playing a really good role in that of fighting against the narrative being white and heteronormative. Yeah, uh, I, I, def- I, just, I just get so tired hearing about, you know, Steinbeck and Hemingway and... They're uh, the manliest men who can men. 
Oh my god, so manly. <laughs> Can you believe that Hemingway shot a giraffe? Wow. I'm actually related to Hemingway. Really? Oh, anyway, yeah. that's a different thing. I know, that's a whole different Why thing. Why did he um, shoot a giraffe? I don't know. He, he liked to go to a safaris, like impress girls. Do they even run fast? You have long legs. You think they get some distance? I've but, never like, really seen them run, though. Like, I haven't either. It'd They're be so, so awkward. <laughs> They're also so fragile, too. Like they Are break they? their yeah. Like what? Like fighting the male fighting giraffes is really dangerous because they, oh, they yeah. whack each other with their necks, and their and their necks can break, and they just die. yeah. Yeah, but what are they supposed to do? Ra- wrap their necks or yeah. Hmm. I know. Yo, giraffes are an enigma. Just really strange. Today in this episode, we learned that the patriarchy sucks, and giraffes are just confusing, man. <laughs> and surprisingly fragile. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway. So, um, so what happened before nineteen twenty? Okay, so we're going into the Victorian era. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. It's like really underground. It's um, called uh, the... Wait! Imagine there's a time and a place before cameras, before television, before most things were electrified. They were in the process of it during the Victorian Mm -hmm. era. There's phosphorescent greenish light everywhere you walk. People are very poor. The aristocracy still exists. Imagine a time where you sit at the radio listening to stories. Or you get a new penny dreadful in the paper. I don't know how that works. Yeah, that's actually right. You're doing good. Mildly. Cool. I don't think so. Am I doing good? Yeah, you're doing good. Okay. But wait, there's a new publication for you to enjoy for everyone's entertainment. It's... The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Woo! <laughs> Thank you for playing my game. All right, let's I go. I love it. I, lo- I love playing your games. Yeah. So, um, yeah, if you didn't know, really underground, Sherlock Holmes was just emerging. Uh, people were losing their goddamn minds. <laughs> <laughs> because here we have this very dandy-esque detective who discovers the crime of the century by measuring people's heads. This is actually part of, this, of, of one of the stories. And finding four midgets that have escaped the circus and are called the circle of the four. You know, people are just mad with Sherlock Holmes. and They haven't heard a mystery as good as this since Poe. <laughs> yes, <laughs> for mm-hmm. sure. Po- since Poe and his orangutan. <laughs> his orangutan and that... <laughs> Knocking at the door. Uh. <laughs> no, do you know that he, yeah, posed like the great great grandfather of uh, mysteries? I mean, Did you know it, that? it makes sense. Yeah, I think it's called uh, The Red Letter. Um, I don't remember the title of the story, but it's about everyone dying at a party and then they have to figure out who did it. I may have already spoiled the ending. <laughs> That's okay. It, it sounds like a good old Poe po book right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone starts vomiting blood. It's a good po tail. Yeah. Po tail. So, <laughs> it's a good po tail. <laughs> yes. So these, <laughs> these, you know, repressed Victorian ladies and these gentlemen are reading these kind of crass stories. But the thing is, it's not coming 
fast enough. They need more. They need more stories. But the thing is, it takes them a couple months, maybe a year, to publish another story. So what is it's they... a labor of uh, loathing. Oh, huh? <laughs> he hated it, but it made him fast money. Uh... <laughs> and so what would they do? They would write their own stories and send it to each other in the letter through the mail. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's, so, so, that's lovely. Yeah, so pen pals, but writing, you know, and some of them did write erotic fan fiction. The thing about the Victorian era is they did stuff that you would not believe. And if you wrote it, like, as a story now, people would think you're doing a sci-fi book. Do you have any examples? Oh, yeah. So nipple piercings started the Victorian era. It was very popular for women and men to have nipple piercings. They never write about that. I know, because we're like, oh, the pristine, the queen, Queen Victoria. The Okay, so it's like the anachronism feels wrong. Yeah, it, it feels wrong, even though Queen Victoria was like a sex addict herself. So people are horny, guys. <laughs> There's also a story of a, of a woman who said she gave birth to rabbits. <laughs> like you do. Yeah, and she uh, actually proved it to doctors uh, where she gave birth to a bunny. But in fact, she would just stuff dead rabbits. I was going to say that. It's like, did she just find like little baby rabbits and then stick them up there? Yeah. Hell yeah, she did. And also like women were being diagnosed with hysteria. Mm -hmm. And so then uh, people would make these water machines to kind of help them relieve that hysteria. And then a few weeks later, the woman would come back like, hey, I... I still think I have that hysteria thing. Can we can we use that that thing that you used for me last week? That was awesome. So pretty deep callback to the first interview that I held was with uh, Katie Meyer, and she was talking about an erotic museum where at that same time there were bicycles with like the first um, dildos, and uh-huh. one of them was like so you pedal the bicycle, and then this like. Uh, I don't know, kind of like a bigger than a finger thing would just go up and down in the sea. Yeah, it, it's amazing. Cool. And that helped cure hysteria. Yeah, it helps magically. Like, oh, maybe hysteria wasn't a thing and maybe, you know, their husbands didn't know. Bitches be horny place, too, but... you know? Yeah, uh, horny all the time. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to keep that? Or... I'm fine with it. Do you want? <laughs> all right, cool. No, I mean, I appreciate your authenticity. What up? Yeah, so, like, my sister-in-law, Katya, uh, she has published, like, 11 books on Victoria, England, mostly in Russian. So, the bunny story came from her, so thank you, Katya. Cool. (laughs) Love you, sis. What's her author name so that other people can maybe look up those books? It's Katya Koti, uh, but now her name is Katya Sieverts. But what is she published as? Uh, Ika Katerina Koti. Yeah, figure out that spelling, kids. <laughs> Just I'll... play it at home. Let me know how that goes. <laughs> Good old Russian right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. That'll be in the show notes. Um... <laughs> yes, thank you. Please. <laughs> I'm a- very aware of a lot of Sherlock Holmes stuff, especially because of the BBC remake in, I think, 2015. Um, that led to a lot of fiction tales being told about those two. Um, and so you're just, you know, originally when the books came out, people lost their shit. And also in 2015, when the books or the shows came out, people lost their shit. Yeah, it, there's just something about like a neurotic 
tall brunette that has like a little blonde like ex-army man like running after him and being like so astonished by the detective who's like oh my god how did you do this and he's like elementary my dear watson um <laughs> really get some vapors going uh <laughs> vapors uh it, i think it's the shirts that are just one size too small <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah so the victorian age was just ripe for fan fiction to be created uh their stories were um sir arthur conan doyle himself <laughs> would write letters to his friends and he would just write weird things or be like it is time and he sent it to four of his friends and one of them left and never came back so he he's just kind of an, <laughs> a weird character who would create these weird characters that people just like fell in love with and were would obsess over and he hated it he hated it so much <laughs> you know you got you feel bad for him but he has a quote where uh, he says if i'm remembered for only sherlock holmes i have failed in my life and you're just like oh dude that's all people know you for really that's that's your only thing no one cared about your dinosaurs no one gave a shit. For sure. And he was he was just so popular that even his brother-in-law uh, wrote uh, a published fan fiction about Sherlock Holmes. So it was called Raffles. And it's about a master thief who steals things and then his friend has to figure out what his friend did. Um, and the, the Watson character is called Bunny. <laughs> So a lot of people said that Raffles was a lot more queer, uh, especially queer-coded, because they use sweet names like Baby and uh, Bunny within it. It's actually mm-hmm. kind of sweet. You're like, <laughs> where he's just talking to him. He's like, Bunny, don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. It's like, but you did it. I know you did it. What do you mean we're going to figure it out? <laughs> uh, so it's just it's just really interesting how, like, no matter how far back you go, there's just people are inspired by people all the time and latch onto characters that they love that they'll just they want to do something to show that passion, whether it be art or writing or anything else they can think of. It's it's just really cool to see the the human side of people continue on throughout the centuries. That is the end of part one with uh, interviewing Annika Sieverts about fan fiction. We'll be presenting part two on June 3rd. And in the meantime, we're trying to get better equipment. So please forgive the sound quality. It's a work in process. But uh, I'm trying to get out the best podcast possible for you. Um, if you did like the podcast, if you want to encourage it, uh, feel free to leave me a message on Instagram at women travel or just send it to a friend. Maybe you know someone who would like to know more about history or who likes to hear about different places. Hopefully uh, more people will enjoy these conversations. And if you enjoyed it, uh, that would, that would mean the world to me if you could just share it with someone else. All right. Thank you for listening. And we'll be back on June 3rd. Not quite downtown Abbey, though. <laughs> so it's before uh-huh. then, in, in yeah. case you watch that show. Um, there's still a monarchy in England. Mm-hmm. And the United States is 20 minutes, uh, 20, the United States is 20 years after the Civil War. 
And so it's just a lot of Jim Crow bullshit going on over there. So we're going to ignore the United States. They yeah, we're, we're not focusing on the United States. Historically, a sucky yeah. country. Um, <laughs> prove me wrong. <laughs> we're awful. <laughs> <laughs> and we yeah, know it. You know. Um, let's see what else was going on then. 